All right. Um, my message this morning is uh, believing loyalty. And uh, we'll see what that means as we go on. As I was saying, uh, John 3.16, you see that little sign. And so, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then it goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So uh, we're told that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. And then uh, uh, that the world through him might be saved. So the whole idea of everlasting life and being saved, that's where we get the idea, uh, you know, that when people say, are you saved? Do you have everlasting life, they're saying. It reminds me, uh, there used to be a a band called uh, Carlos Santana. You remember that name? (laughs) And uh, they had a keyboard player named Leon Patillo. And uh, Leon got saved. And he started playing for the Lord. And uh, one of his songs was, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So anyway, um, uh, that was a good song. Uh, It had a bass player. Uh, The bass player in it was a guy named Abraham Laboriel. And uh, he was one of the first bass players I heard that did the, the pop and slap type bass. Um, anyway, it was, it's a cool song. <laughs> so, and so my outline for this morning is uh, we're going to look at the importance of believing. We're going to look at Christ illustrates the importance of believing. We're going to see some illustrations from Christ. And then Christ prophesies the importance of believing. <clears throat> you know, uh, people have said that Scripture is about one-third prophecy. I think it's actually more than that because everything that we study in the Old Testament, uh, everything that is a, a sort of a, a precursor or a forerunner or a, a type of Christ is sort of a prophecy. You know, it's like a promise. Uh, so um, the stuff that uh, the class is studying on Wednesday nights uh, about Christ in the Old Testament, that's prophecy really. So um, I think it's more than even one-third, but okay. Moving on, we're going to look at the importance of believing uh, who Jesus claims to be. Uh, so belief in righteousness. Genesis 15, uh, 5 and 6 said, uh, this was uh, God speaking to Abram. He says, he, uh, or the narrator is speaking here. He took him, that is Abraham, out, Abram, and uh, he wasn't Abraham yet. He took Abram outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Uh, then he said to him, uh, so shall your offspring be. So Abram didn't have any kids at that point. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed God credited to him as righteousness. Okay, from knowing to believing. John, uh, Jesus said in John 8, 24, and then four verses onward to 28. Uh, I jumped ahead. So, I told you that uh, you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. 
Uh, you indeed will die in your sins. Then he go, jump forward, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, uh, meaning his uh, crucifixion, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Then, who did Jesus claim to be? Uh, Mark. Uh, Mark uh, uh, chapter 14, 61 to 64 says, And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. So, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He, he said he was the Messiah. <clears throat> Next, uh, what did Jesus promise to do? Jesus said in John 6.40, For the Father's will <clears throat> is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So anyone who looks to, son, looks to the Son, looks in, at Jesus and believes in him, <clears throat> uh, he'll raise us up on, the, he uh, will have eternal life and he'll raise us up on the last day. John 14, uh, verse, second half of verse 2 and then verse 3 says, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you, can be, you shall be also. Uh, that was a song that uh, we used to sing uh, in, in children's church and in uh, Sunday school classes was that um, uh, uh, somewhere in outer space God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. Jesus will come again and though we don't know when, countdown's getting lower every day. Ten and nine, eight and seven, six and five and four. Count upon the Savior while you may. Three and two coming through the clouds in bright array. The countdown's getting lower every day. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus promised that we could be with him forever. Okay. Look at the two thieves on the cross, two thieves and Jesus. Well, and Luke uh, 23, 39 to 41. One of the criminals who hung, uh, hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This thief on the cross is admitting uh, he, he's a sinner. <laughs> you know, he's done wrong things. But Jesus hasn't done anything. Jesus is, is, is blameless. But also, don't you fear God? I think this, the thief on the cross sensed that um, there was more to Jesus than just a mere man. But that he was there... There was some connection. Maybe he didn't understand about the Son of God and he didn't have all that theology, but he understood that uh, 
the Father had something to do with this, that God had something to do with this, and that uh, uh, Jesus uh, was more, to, there was more to him than just a, being a man, as I said. So then he says, uh, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you, uh, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> that is the simplest sinner, sinner's prayer you'll probably ever read. <laughs> Jesus, remember me. <clears throat> I think of that, uh, uh, you know, think about, well, someday uh, we're all going to, if the Lord doesn't take us away, uh, we're all going to have to face death. What is that going to be like? What's that door going to be like that we're going to have to go through and uh, I pray <laughs> that um, when that time comes for me, <laughs> I could say, Jesus, remember me. <clears throat> uh, I went too far. Oh, no, no, okay. I went over. It's okay. <laughs> uh, resurrection proves Christ's claim. Romans 4, 23 and 25. The words, it was credited him, as we read earlier, talking about Abram. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for, he, for Abram alone, that is, him alone, uh, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who delivered over to, uh, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So, when we believe uh, that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord and that we put our trust in him, uh, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, rose from the grave, was proof that Jesus was true to what he was saying, what he was claiming, that those weren't idle claims. Uh, <laughs> he rose from the dead and uh, he was a victor. I think of a Keith Green song, swallowed into earth's dark womb, death has triumphed, that's what they say, but try to hold him in the tomb, the, uh, uh, the prince of life uh, rose on the third day, or the son of life rose on the third day, just look, the gates of hell are falling, crumbling from the inside out, he's bursting through the walls with laughter, listen to the angels shout, it is finished, he has triumphed, life conquers death, Jesus Christ has won it, <laughs> so, uh, hallelujah, <laughs> uh, uh, death couldn't hold him, Okay, so what are we supposed to believe? In summary, trust that Christ really is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. He was the Messiah, the Anointed One. He's the Savior of the world. For God so loved the what? The world. Not just certain people, but he loved the world. Uh, savior of the world. Trusting Christ died for our sins. <clears throat> Trusting that Christ was raised to life for our justification. That word justification, I've heard preachers say, you could translate it as just as if we had never sinned. <laughs> justification. And uh, what do we believe? 
Christ will rise up uh, on the last, uh, will raise us up on the last day, just as he has risen from the grave. Okay, the next point is uh, Christ illustrates to us the importance of believing and what true worship around the world looks like. We're gonna, this is gonna be quite a few slides here, but this is John chapter four, verses one to 43, and uh, we'll start. John four, uh, four to six. Uh, I could only fit so many verses on a slide, so we're gonna go through quite a few slides here. Uh, but he, Jesus, needed to go through Samaria uh, so he came to a city of, in, of Samaria, which was called Sychar. I remember reading that as a kid and said, thinking it sounded like sidecar. <laughs> they must have had motorcycles. Uh, today it's called Ascar. Um, if you go there, I'm told, it says uh, he, he was near, uh, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I, I read a little about uh, Sychar or that area and uh, one of the few places you know there's a lot of places in uh, the Holy Land where the archaeologists find something and they say we we think we found uh, um, oh some stones from uh, a, a weight from from where, where Jesus talks about uh, or the scripture talks about uh, um, unfair weights being used, uh, God not liking that. Um, they found some little stones that had writing on them and they came to the conclusion that uh, these were stones or, that were used on a balance, on a balance pan, uh, balance beam, and uh, were used by merchants. And they were marked as to how much they were supposed to weigh. And when they actually weigh them, uh, they, were, they actually uh, weighed more than... Uh, than what was marked on them. So that must have been uh, unfair weights or... <laughs> but anyway, they, you, they find different things um, uh, in the Holy Land, and there's a lot of, dis they're disputed. A lot of them are disputed. Oh, experts say, can't be this, can't be that. Um, that but according to what I read, this Jacob's one of the few places that's not disputed. That yeah, this really is the well of that was dug by Jacob, and um, about 400 feet away uh, to the north of uh, the Jacob's well is the tomb of Joseph, and nobody disputes that that's the tomb of Joseph. And uh, just some things to say. Originally, the well was 105 feet deep. That's pretty deep. I mean, they dug that back what, uh, a thousand years before Christ or more. Uh, so anyway, the uh, five feet deep, there was 15 feet of water in the bottom of it. <clears throat> but they said over the years, people have been throwing stones in that well when hear the stone plop when it hits the water. And now <laughs> the well is only 60 feet deep and bottom of it anymore, except when there's a lot of lot of snow in the mountains and they'll get some water in the bottom of them but normally uh, in, in summer months there's no water in the bottom so I, I, that's uh, just for you <laughs> I guess understandable I guess if it's been there for 3,000 years 
I guess you could throw a lot of stones, a lot of pebbles in there in over 3,000 years. So anyway, uh, there, so Jesus comes to the ground, um, to this well. Now Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Uh, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. So Jesus was a real man, and he got tired, and he got weary, and he got thirsty. <clears throat> it was about the sixth hour, that'd be about noon. A woman, woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans lived in that part, that northern part of, uh, of uh, Israel, and... Um, some of the tribe got, tribes got hauled off to um, uh, Assyria, and some of them got left behind. And the ones that got left behind um, continued to practice Judaism, um, but they acquired some of the uh, customs of the people that were the, some of the people of, uh, of Canaan. And so uh, when the Jews came back, when the Jews came back from uh, captivity back to Israel, <clears throat> they found these people here that believed in the Bible. They believed actually not the entire Old Testament, but just the first five books, Genesis, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They just believed in those five books. And um, then they had some other along with it, and the Jews at that time didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, that was, if you're uh, Ezra came back and uh, Nehemiah came back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the people Samaritans said, Let's have, can we help you build? Can we help you build? And the, the Jews said, no, no. Um, uh, and God had instructed them, no, don't, don't uh, have them help you rebuild uh, the city. And so from that time on, there was rivalry between the two, and the two groups didn't associate with one another. They, they did business with one another, um, so the disciples wanted to get food and stuff, they, so they'd do business that way, but they didn't want to, they didn't intermarry, they, they, they didn't want to have anything to do. So um, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, Jesus answered and said to him, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? There's something wrong. Oh. One, two, three. <laughs> so nothing was coming through prior to that? <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe the battery was going bad. Uh, going, it was losing. No. No. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, uh, Jesus said, um, uh, give me a drink. Uh, you would, uh, uh, let's see. 
Um, let's see. If you knew the gift of God and who it was uh, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You remember the old song? <laughs> Drinking at the springs of living water. Oh, happy now am I, my soul. Drinking water. Oh, wonderful and bountiful supply. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> boy, I haven't sung that song. I bet you in... Uh, I'll, I've sung it at home a few times recently, but prior to that, I, I don't think I'd sung that for 25 years. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so living water. You would have asked him for living water. Not responding. The next slide, please. Uh, it would have been John four fifteen to eighteen. Oh, now it's gone. Oh, there. Okay. John four fifteen to eighteen. The woman said to him, "Sir." Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, uh, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have, said, uh, what you have just said is quite true. Uh, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and has come, and is, uh, the hour is coming, when you will neither on this, uh, neither on this mountain nor in, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, This Mount Gerizim that the Samaritans worshipped on, they built a Gerizim where the Jews built a temple there. You won't be having to, at, at the time of Jesus, the worship of God was time and space, uh, time and place specific. They had to go to Jerusalem uh, certain times of the year for Passover, uh, Pentecost, and then uh, the feasts that are then later in the year. So there were specific times and places. But Jesus is saying is the time is coming when true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and truth. And they, they won't be coming to Jerusalem or they won't be coming to Mount Gerizim. <clears throat> the point is, Jesus was saying 
building on that whole idea that God so loved the world, you know, what would it be like if everybody around the world who believed in Jesus had to come back to Jerusalem to worship, uh, come back to that certain place a certain time of year? Could you imagine the billions of people that would have to come there? Uh, so Jesus was saying there's a new, there's a new game in town. Uh, in Matthew 9, 16 to 17, Jesus told his disciples and those who were listening that uh, um, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because the new wine is going to, could burst the skins. You don't put a new patch on old what Jesus was saying is that the old way of doing things, that old container called the Old Covenant, was improper for the whole and for the coming, uh, the, the worship of God in spirit and in truth. So, um, so anyway, so Jesus uh, tells her about what worship is going to be like. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. An open, I mean, this was, this was before the, uh, what the priest asked Jesus, are you the son of God? Uh, you know, are you the Messiah, uh, the blessed one of God, or the one, the, the blessed one, Jesus says, I am. <clears throat> but, he was always sort of hinting at it when he was talking to his disciples and stuff, but here he comes out and just says it, I who speak to you am he, the Messiah. Which brought up a point in my mind was, if this woman was a Samaritan and they only believed the first five books of the Bible or only followed the first five books, uh, how did she know that there was going to be a Messiah and that his name would be Jesus or that he would be called the Christ? Well, the Christ is... Uh, the Greek word for Messiah. So I guess that's, they probably all spoke Greece, uh, Greek, and so she would have known that. But um, uh, how, did they know, how did she know about that there was going to be a Messiah? Uh, the best I can say is Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. Uh, God tells the children of Israel that... Uh, Someone was going to be coming in the future who's going, to be like, who's going to be like Moses, and he was going to speak to them the words of God. And so, I guess that would be a, a, a prophecy on the part of Moses. Uh, Jesus told on, uh, the, on the road to Emmanuel, uh, uh, he appeared to believers. Uh, he, he says, it says that he took them through starting at. Moses and going through all the scripture told them the scriptures that spoke about him, about Jesus. And uh, later we know that the two travelers their eyes were open and they realized that was Jesus who was talking to them. <clears throat> I would love to have been there for that Bible study that he gave them. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, we're going to jump ahead about eight verses. 
uh, John 4, 39 to 41. Uh, many of the Samaritans from the, town, uh, from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, uh, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. After the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. So, I guess some things we can garner from these verses. Uh, true worship. Uh, well, believers are going to receive living water. True, true, true worship is worship in spirit and truth. Uh, Jerusalem and Gerizim are obsolete as far as uh, the place where we need to worship. Uh, Old Covenant, not a suitable container for the, old, for the Holy Spirit. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, I give you a, a new covenant in my blood. And uh, he's, they, they receive the communion. Um, and we'll have living water springing up to everlasting life in us. <clears throat> the, uh, okay, I guess that's... Now, moving on to the last segment of the outline is uh, Christ prophesies the importance of believing. So we saw uh, the importance of believing. We saw Christ illustrates the importance of believing. And Christ now, is, we're going to see how he prophesies about the importance of believing. We're going to look at something we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, the that are talked about in Revelation. Uh, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, this word overcome plays a, a big role in these messages to the churches. That every one of the churches, every, all seven churches are told something about he who overcomes, the person that overcomes, this or that. And uh, we'll see, uh, and a promise then. And so I guess it's a prophecy because... Uh, it still is yet to come. So, uh, Christ's prophecy, uh, Revelation 2.7, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's the church of Ephesus that he's speaking to. If you remember, Adam and Eve did God. They got kicked out of the garden. And when they get kicked out of the garden, God puts an angel, he says, uh, now that man and woman know good and evil, the difference between good and evil, uh, nothing will you know, keep them from uh, coming back and eating from the tree of life and then living forever. So Jesus didn't want, or the Father didn't want uh, uh, the humans to... Uh, live forever in this fallen state, this state of disobedience. So they, he put a, an angel, a cherubim, and there, it had a sword, and it's gone to the tree of life. But the day is coming, and 
going to open up that tree of life to us. I think it talks about the tree of life growing on either side of this river that's flowing from the throne of God. And it says that it had uh, every month. The fruit was, uh, had a significance about the healing of the nations. But then I, re I realized that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. So um, it kind of reminds me of someone discovered that long, long ago that the leaves of the Mediterranean willow tree and the bark of the Mediterranean willow had uh, uh, something in it that relieved headaches. And that's what's in aspirin today, is uh, the, the compound that's in the leaves and bark of the Mediterranean willow tree. So uh, in, uh, in, the new, in the new world, in, the, in heaven, uh, when we can eat from the leaves of the tree of life, uh, uh, I, maybe it'll be all those kind of things like Mediterranean world, but only thing really enhanced. <laughs> Maybe we don't have to worry about headaches or anything when we're in heaven, but uh, I thought it was for the healing. And so there's going to be people that need healing. So uh, maybe healing is for something other than physical ailments. Maybe it's for spiritual ailments. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we see in, uh, in Revelation where it talks about the second death and it said that blessed, there's going to be a, the first death and the first resurrection. <clears throat> then there's going to be a second death. But everybody who's part of the second death um, is going into judgment. So um, um, I will not be hurt by the second death if those who overcome. That's the church of Smyrna. He said that too. Uh, Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, uh, known only to him who receives it. And that's the uh, uh, church of uh, Pergamum. Jesus says in Revelation uh, uh, 2.26, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden uh, hidden, uh, hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. Oh, I, I, I think I duplicated uh, uh, I, verses there. Sorry. He will, like them, be dressed in white. I will out from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. That's the church of Sardis he's talking to. Revelation 3.12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him uh, my new name. He says that to the church of Philadelphia. And then church of Laodicean 3.21. Uh,
sorry, uh, to who overcomes, I will give the with me on I overcame and sat on his throne. That's a pretty big throne. Uh, we're going to, Jesus sat down on the throne with his father, and then now we're going to sit on Jesus' throne with Jesus, which tells me it must be dimensional. <laughs> it's uh, <clears throat> time and and, and aren't the same. If uh, if you and I have a car accident, we hit together. That's because you and I are trying to occupy the same time space coordinates. <laughs> We're in the same coordinates at the same time. And, uh, that doesn't work. So uh, uh, so it must be must be multidimensional. So. So what does it mean to be an overcomer? We've seen seven examples, or seven promises to overcomers. <clears throat> these things, Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken uh, to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's another song I remember from long ago. <laughs> These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Um, <clears throat> Revelation 12.11 says, They overcame him, that is the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And believers are good cheer and also they're brave, I would say. It says uh, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I think of the apostles. Uh, every one of them faced martyrdom, basically. And, and then not only the 12 apostles, but uh, uh, that they had to go through. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> the word witness that's used in the Bible is the Greek word martyro, which, from which we get the word martyr. So the martyrs were the true witnesses for Christ. <clears throat> And uh, if that, if we're ever called on to have to do the same, uh, may we, may the Lord <laughs> bless us and help us to, to be brave for him. But in a, even a smaller way, when we're out and about, and this is something I face all the time, is uh, with people at work or just neighbors or anything, opportunities to speak a word for the Lord, and having to have the bravery to do it. There's times when I shrink back and say, well, I can't tell them that, I can't say that. Um, but I pray the Lord will give me <laughs> the bravery to do that. Uh, and uh, what is it to overcome? 1 John 5, 3, and 3 to 5 says, uh, this is love 
for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So James would say, you have to do works. Anybody believes. Even the devils believe, he says. <clears throat> yeah, the devils believe. They, the demons believe. But it does them no good. They know very well. They had their chance. <laughs> they had their chance to, to trust God, but they didn't do it. And um, uh, so now they, they know what's waiting. So they believe and they tremble, all right. But you blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe, Jesus told Thomas. So you and I, I guess the fact that we don't actually see and touch God right now, in a way, is a blessing. Because blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. We don't see, but we trust. We're asked. <clears throat> We're after trust. So, finally, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness uh, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're being transformed when we trust Christ. We are being transformed into his likeness. So, finally then, I guess... <laughs> song that was popular when I was young <laughs> by a group called Journey. They song said, don't stop believing. <laughs> don't stop. That's a good word, you know. You, you see a lot of, like in, say in basketball now, we've got now. You'll see the underdog team wins and then they interview him. What do they say? Uh, you guys were, were you know, 10-point underdogs. And they, well, we didn't stop believing that we could do it. We didn't stop believing that we could stick together and, you know, make the three-point three shots and things. Uh, but uh, it's, not, uh, it's not believing that we could do it. Don't stop believing that Jesus is who he says he is that he's going to do what he said he's going, who he says he is. He's the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to save us and raise us up on the last day. <clears throat> he's going to come back for us one day. We're going to live with him forever. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Sure, I can get through this last part, but <clears throat> have you ever been through the Bible and looked at the names of Christ or the titles that are given for Christ? <clears throat> Genesis, Jacob is giving, uh, he's blessing his sons, and when he gets to Judah, he says to Judah, the scepter shall not pass from you 
until Shiloh comes. Who's this Shiloh? Well, that was the name that, the nickname, I guess you could say, that the Jews gave to the Messiah, Shiloh. <clears throat> we see names like Lion of Judah. We see, uh, you know, many different names in the Bible, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. <clears throat> but when we get to the book of Revelation and we're, we look at I guess you could say the final minutes or final hours of this world that we know. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. We get to Revelation 19. It says, <clears throat> I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. Of all the names that could have been given to Jesus, all those names like Shiloh and King of Kings, Lord of Lords and things like that, all the names that could have been given to Jesus, when he's coming back, he has a banner on him or some kind of name on him. He's called Faithful and True. So in 2 Corinthians where we read that we're being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory, I think what it means to be an overcomer, a believer, is that may God, when it comes our time to stand before Christ, may God be able to say of us, you are faithful and true. That's what God, I believe, it means be a believer and be an overcomer, if you want to summarize it, faithful and true. Faithful to your commitments, faithful to your promises, faithful, faithful to what God has entrusted with you, and true, be a person of truth. So I guess that's the summary of my message today is, <clears throat> let's all ask Christ that by his grace we'd be faithful and true. Thank you.